um, their thoughts and prayers that have been going. Let's pray. So, Father, we just think of you only do good things, and sometimes they seem difficult to understand at times, Lord. And we know that there's many right now hurting, scared, hiding, fearful, angry, all those things going on. And we know that you want to grant life, Lord. You only devise things for good. Lord, so we just pray that that would happen. Lord, as people don't know you are crying out, we pray that you would hear them and that they'd seek you in that time. We just pray for those that are looking for miracles that you would show up, Lord. You said that when we are weak, you are strong. So we just pray for strength on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world that are maybe fearful or hopeful that you'll show up, Lord, that you'd be true to your word and you would give them grace to suffice them in this time, Lord, that your presence would be real, Lord, as you showed up to people in jail cells and we read of your spirit coming and comforting people, Lord. We just pray that that would be happening, that um, just, Lord, in Habakkuk, in in wrath, remember mercy. We just pray that your mercy would go forth and um, thank you that we can know you, that we know that you care and we know you're doing something and uh, cause us um, to have that hope and looking for your soon return through all this time. And um, thank you for not leaving us here, Lord. Thank you for being a good dad and only doing good and um, cause us to walk by faith in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with that note, are things going crazy or what? <laughs> Did you think you'd be alive during all this? When the What is happening in the world right now? And uh, life as we knew it has changed. And sometimes it can cause us to question. And it seems like the world would say things are flying out of control. Which, from one perspective, it could seem that way. Right? And from another perspective, that's almost an admission. If things were out of control, that means that they had been in control and now it's being lost. So if it was in control, who was controlling it before? To be out of control meant there had to have been control. And as believers, what do we look at? Who is in control? And uh, just this morning's message, who are you? And sometimes we're constantly brought there. And I just, again, I've shared this before, as we are going through our walk, just looking at the apostles through the Gospels, they thought they knew him, then they didn't know him. Then they thought they knew him, then they didn't know him. They're constantly under, growing in their understanding and knowledge of who he is. And it, and it got to the point where John fell down as if dead at his feet. This guy whose breast he laid on at the Last Supper. And then all of a sudden, they're like, who are you? And uh, whom do we worship? And just as a we heard this morning and were exhorted. Here they are worshiping him, about to have the last, they had the last supper, not knowing it was the last supper, I believe, and then they end up going out to the garden, and next thing you know, their whole world turned upside down. Everything totally in control. Jesus was totally in control. Everything was going as planned. Just sometimes we're not made aware, or we're not cognizant, even though he's told us multiple times. And sometimes we, like, get freaked out or need a better understanding. And what do we do? Whom do we worship? And I was just reminded as uh, Rob was talking about that, Psalm 24. I'll read it all. It's a short 10 verse. Kind of goes along with where we're at. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas. So the world has been founded and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So righteousness, so they have to have clean hands, but righteousness is received, and it comes from a God who saved them. They needed saving. It's not that they were good enough. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. That is still true today. If there's a battle going on and God's involved in it, remember, he is mighty and he is strong. 
Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the King of glory, Selah. We have a king. He rules. He established things. He set it in order. He has a plan. And then all of a sudden, we're like, how did we get to this place in your life, in my life, in the world? Where are things going? And sometimes it can seem confusing. And we try to understand it. And we know we're well taught as we go through scripture. Um, but sometimes we're talking to people and they can seem confused. And sometimes things don't make sense. And of course, then there's always the questions, why God? Well, first of all, if you believe that there's a God, the next question isn't, isn't, the answer won't be that hard to take. You got to get past that first. So coming to this mindset, I'm aware the Apostle Paul is going to be teaching to the Colossians, and he's well-versed in their history and thought process. And we're coming to a point where, and don't get too excited, I'm not going to be going to Colossians yet. <laughs> um, he, he knew what they, they had been taught. Paul was a, a genius. He was one of the smartest people ever. He was trained in their school of thought. And I was amazed through this study because one of the things that they were deceived by is this Greek myth, mythology as well as um, these, this philosophy. And in studying this, I was surprised how often he quoted them. They're philosophers. He was... He was well-versed in their literature, and he wasn't doing that to cause them to be read and admonished, but he was turning it around saying, they did get some things right, Just let's redeem it and use it for the gospel. He was well-versed in what they were thinking, and I wasn't, so I did take a little venture down this thing. However, even in stuff, one of the biggest complaints or arguments that I hear mostly at work um, when it comes to belief in the questions that always get there. If you're not thinking things are going right, then how do you think they should be going? What is, what's the purpose? Why are we here? How did we get here and why am I here? And most people look to their God, science, and you can give a scientist a name if you want. There's many of them right now that will claim to be God. At least they think they have all knowledge. And um, they will sit there and they will be willing to share things. And um, so is science bad? Sometimes it seems to be conflicted right in the face. And some people will say, well, I don't, well, I don't, I don't live by, by faith. I live by, by facts, by science. So if you were to sit there and talk to somebody that was scientific, and let's just pick the, the biggest, easiest, most common. How did we get here? Evolution or creation? You have two sides which has better facts and which one has more support. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit about that right now. They actually have the exact same facts. The problem is, is what do you do with them? It's not the facts that are the problem. And uh, I think that's important because as we read in Psalm 24, he laid the foundation. There are scientific laws. He, he spoke them into existence in the, the week of creation. He is like a genius. If the more you think about it, the greater and bigger God gets. You'll sit there and say, who are you? Who, who can control all of that? As you look at how intricate and how detailed things are. Um, so as we were going through, I ended up, this is a, a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth reading. Uh, I did not do well in school. I can read. <laughs> But I, science wasn't a thing that I was that big on, but I did learn some stuff that I thought clears things up. Um, I don't know, you probably know the difference between um, a theory, a fact, a law, all of those things, but I'm, I think it's worth taking note. I read it at home, it didn't take too long. It's from a non-Christian website um, called Life Science, and it just says, what is a law in science? And I think it's, as we go through this, it might help us to be able to relate to people as we're trying to share our faith with them. And it also might clear things up with us because sometimes people like to, 
as I call it, pontificate. I don't even know if it's a word. They stand there and they say big swelling words. There's a, a gentleman I work with that will talk to somebody about an electrical problem and if they think that they like have some insight and they try to explain their opinion on it and this guy is like, no, you're not even close. He'll just sit there and use words so big and so detailed that they just be quiet because they realize, okay, I don't know as much as you, I can't argue with you, which was his whole intent of doing that. So um, he's a little prideful and he just, and sometimes scientists or people that follow science can do that to us. And sometimes it can be not just demeaning, but you feel like these people sound smart and they might cause us to doubt. But um, this was January 16th, 2022. It says, the one thing a scientific law doesn't explain is why the phenomenon exists or what causes it. In general, a scientific law is a description of an observed phenomena. It doesn't explain why the phenomenon exists or what causes it. The explanation for a phenomenon is called a scientific theory. It is a misconception that theories turns into law with enough research. In science, laws are the starting place. They find out a piece of information and a fact and they go from there said Peter Coppinger, an associate of biology and the Ross Holman Institute of Technology in India. From there, scientists can then ask questions, why and how. So they see something that's already true and then they try to figure it out. The difference between a scientific theory and a scientific law. Many people think that if scientists find evidence that supports a hypothesis, the hypothesis is upgraded to a theory, and if the theory is found to be correct, it is upgraded to a law. That is not how it works, though. Facts theories and laws, as well as hypotheses, are separate elements of scientific method. Though they may evolve, they are not upgraded to something else. Hypothesis, theories, and laws are rather like apples, oranges, and kumquats. One cannot grow into another, no matter how much fertilizer or water are offered, according to the University of California, Berkeley. You can give evolution as much fertilizer as you want. It doesn't become true. Fertilizer sounds better. A hypothesis is potentially is a potential explanation of a narrow phenomenon. A scientific theory is an in-depth explanation that applies to a wide range of phenomena. A law is a statement observed about an observed phenomena or a unifying concept, according to Kenosha State University. There, there are four major concepts in science: facts, hypotheses, laws, and theories. Coppinger told Life Science, through scientific laws and those scientific laws and theories are supported by a large body of empirical evidence that is accepted by the majority of scientists within that area of scientific study and help to unify that body of data, they are not the same thing. Laws are descriptions, often mathematical descriptions, of natural phenomenon. For example, Newton's law of gravity or Mendel's law of independent assortment. These laws simply describe the observation, not how they work. And then he goes on to say, Coppinger pointed out the law of gravity was discovered by Isaac Newton in the 17th century. This law mathematically describes how two different bodies in the universe interact with each other. However, Newton's law doesn't explain what gravity is or how it works. It wasn't until three centuries later when Albert Einstein developed the theory of relativity that scientists began to understand what gravity is and how it works. So they realized that there's gravity and then they came up with a theory on how it works. But if the theory can't be set up in place all the time, then it's not accurate and it doesn't become a law. So evolution is a theory. It never will become a law. It can't become a law. Newton's law is useful to scientists in that astrophysicists can use this centuries-old law to land robots on Mars, but it doesn't explain how gravity works or what it is. It just simply is. God said it and it is. And we can't figure it out still. We just know it's true. We can try to explain it, but if somebody tells you that they know how it works, it's just a bunch of blah, blah, blah. It's a hypothesis or it's a theory. We don't know. It just simply is. And I'll spare you the, the rest for time's sake. But there's things that are true. There are facts that are there. So science isn't bad or good. It's just simply an observation. People looking and seeing something. The question is, is what do we do with it? I've talked to people before that tell me, well, you know, you believe, you know, you, you, you believe in the creation by faith, but I, I believe in by science. But the thing is, is that it takes faith to believe science because you still don't know. 
And if you believe that you don't need faith, you believe that you don't need faith by faith because you might need faith, you just don't know it. That's faith statement. You're stuck. You have to believe something by faith. We have to. God didn't create us to know everything. And some people don't like that and they want to know everything. But the problem is they'll never know everything. All we know is that we know enough. He tells us enough. Now the question is, is are you going to believe him or not? Now the question is, did he say it? And as Rob mentioned this morning, the Bible is the most provable book of any book that we have. So where did science come from? Science originally started by and from philosophy, early philosophy. Early philosophies were Greek. Paul knew Greek philosophy. Paul is talking to people that are being um, distorted and lied to and confused because of it. And I think getting a little background on, on it because he quoted many of them. A lot of the, I could read you some scriptures, um, which I, I, I'm not going to because of time-wise, but you know them well, and he's actually quoting Greek philosophers. And you'd be like, Paul didn't come up with that? <laughs> but he redeemed it. He talked about it. So the first one that's of note to me, um, he's not the first philosopher, but he's an early one, is Socrates. First name of the original ones that I know of. He was from 470 to 399. He was credited as the founder of Western philosophy. Um, he didn't write anything down. He was a, a unique man. At the time, um, he would be going around and listening, and a lot of people, like I said, I used the term pontificate. They would sit there and they would talk about religion. They would think about things. They would sit there at this forum up on a hill called the Argapaeus, or however it's properly pronounced. <laughs> And they would look and they would talk about their gods and they would talk about, they would sit there and think all day and talk about things that they said that they knew. And his friends, he would sit there and comment on them to his friends. And his friends were like, you're the smartest guy that we know. And he's like, all I've ever done is say, if that guy says is true and what that guy says is true, they can't both be true. He just questioned things. He didn't know much, according to him. And uh, he didn't author anything. He didn't write any of it down. He just uh, went out and talked to people. He grew up during the, the golden age of the Pericles Athens. He was a soldier, and all he did is question stuff. He wasn't religious, but he did attempt to establish an ethical system based on reason rather than theology. And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing because the theology of the early Greeks was bad. They worshipped every god known to man. And he looked at that and said, this doesn't make sense. And uh, his main beliefs were, four of them, wisdom begins by recognizing your ignorance. He said, the more you, if you think you know stuff, you'll stop learning. He's like, there's things that we're never going to know, and he just wanted people to continue to search. And he said, an unexamined life isn't worth living. Ethical virtue is the only thing that matters. And a good person can never be harmed because whatever misfortune he may suffer, his virtue will remain intact. And uh, he said that, and then he he lived it because he would go out and debate people. And at the time, they were the most powerful nation on the earth. This is a few hundred years before Jesus, like I said, 400 BC. And that was against the law. And he did it publicly. And they took him to this place, the Argapaos, and had a trial. And they found him guilty, to which they summonsed him to drinking hemlock, which is a a poison that as you drink it, it goes down and your feet get numb and it works all the way up and it gets to your heart and it stops. And uh, people were asking him to beg for his life and to cry out and tell him that he was wrong and he willingly took it. He's like, you know what, I'm not going to ruin my ethics because that will stay intact. So he was a man true to his word. So he sat there in front of the council at Athens and we know of him because of the writings of one of his students, Plato. Plato followed him, learned from him, took notes, wrote down a lot of the stuff of the debates, and he changed a little bit from his thinking. Um, he founded the Platonist School of Thought and the Academy, which we believe was the first institution of higher learning in the Western world, so he started colleges. Uh, he wrote multiple works. One's called The Republic, which was widely, it's very popular and common. I started reading it years, a couple of years, about a year ago thinking, I, like I said, I'm not that smart. I gave up, I gave up on it, but it was interesting. Um, it was all about a republic run by 
a wise person. He did not like democracy because he said that people not intelligent shouldn't be running the country because they'll ruin it. And I'm getting there. Um, he also wrote his dialogues. He had an early, middle, and late in which he shared his metaphysical theory of forms, claiming ultimate reality exists beyond our physical world. So he studied more and got to the point. He's saying, you know what, there's something more out there than just what we see. And he also believed the body was distinct from the soul, and he called the body the prison of the soul. And he also believed that there were three parts to your soul, the rational, the spirited, and the appetitive. And then comes along his protege, Aristotle. And Aristotle wrote on causality. And you'll see here, this is all going to tie into where we're going to get to. There is a theme here. Um, he believed in um, the material cause, the formal cause, the efficient cause, and the final cause. So there's a cause for something. If you look at something, and I see this stool, right? First of all, it's made out of material. So if he's thinking through this logically, where did the material come from? Well, if you take wood to make this, well, then where did the wood come from that made it? He was saying that if it came from somewhere, it had to, it had to have a beginning. Um, the, it, it's, it's got a shape to it, so somebody actually had to... Um, the, it has a form, and the efficient cause says that somebody actually had to choose to do that, and the final cause is it has to have a use. It wouldn't be here if it didn't have a use. It wouldn't have a use if it didn't have a form. If it, did, and it had to have a form, it had to have... Uh, be made out of stuff. And it says all, all four kinds of causes may enter into the explanation of something. Consider the production of an artifact like a bronze statue. The bronze enters into the explanation of the production of the statue as a material cause. Note that the bronze is not the only material which is out of which the statue is made. It is also the subject of change. That is the thing that undergoes the change and results in the statue. The bronze is melted and poured into in an order to acquire a new shape the shape of the statue. This shape enters into the explanation of the production as the formal cause. However, an adequate explanation of the production of the statue requires the efficient cause or the reason why it was done and who did it. And all of this comes to Thomas Aquinas, and he was a student of Plato. And he looked at those, and he went through his five proofs of existence for God based on that. So he looked, so they went from logic to thinking to science, to this, why are we here, what are things for? And Thomas Aquinas came to the conclusion that not only was there a God, but he was the cause. He has to be the cause. And he used that whole thinking of logic, just as Paul's going to do. He takes all of their thinking and logic and says, and you can, Acts 17, I don't think we'll get there, but we've been through there recently with Paul, that's Mars Hill, Mars Hill is also known as the Archippus. It's the exact same spot where Socrates was standing when he got his death sentence. Paul went to that same place, looks out, sees all these statues, quoted from their own prophets and philosophers, and said, first of all, this place is full of temples. And he says, God doesn't live in temples. What are the temples doing here? Your own prophets say that. Then he says, God's not a statue. He, he can't be made of something. He had to be the maker of that material. Why are all these statues? He sat there and ruined everything that they did at this place. And he says, you know what? There is one here, and that's the God I'm going to tell you about. And he talked about the resurrection through that. So he took their own reasoning and philosophical beliefs, which is one of the things that was in Colossae that was distorting them. And he said, this is where you guys are coming from, and I'm going to learn where you're coming from because I want to reach you. And he, So Thomas Aquinas, years later, going through the Platonic method of reasoning said five proofs for the existence are one, argument of motion from motion, the argument from efficient cause, the argument from necessary being, the argument from graduations of goodness, and the argument from design. So from motion, he says that everything that is moved has to be moved by another. If something's moving, somebody had to move it. Who's moving things? The argument from efficient cause. Something caused it. Well, somebody had to be there to cause it. That's, that's the argument that he makes, the first cause. Is God the first cause? You can look that up. It's a big debate. People argue and study and complain, and scientists hate it. And Once we get to Colossians, God just declares it. Paul just declares it. It's the, one of the vastest, most abrupt statements in the Bible. And I just want to leave it for like a mic drop at the end when we get there. <laughs> who, who did this? Why did he do it? 
And what's he talking about? Well, all these people have been talking about this for a long time. Why are we here? And what's the purpose? And where did we come from? Um, the argument of necessary being, since all existence things depends upon others for their existence, there must exist at least one thing that is not dependent and so is a necessary being. Something has to be not necessary from everything else. And the argument from gradation, since all existent things can be compared to such qualities as degrees of goodness, there must exist something that is absolutely good being. And from design, the intricate design and order of existence things and natural process imply that a great designer exists. So we sit there and we think, are things out of control? Well, there's somebody, if, if they were out of control, that means that now, that means that they were in control, which means somebody had to have control. So who had control? And, um, I don't know, does God have control? Is God in control? I sin. Is God in control of me when I sin? So we know that sometimes that can get a little confusing. So the sovereignty of God but versus the free will of man, right? They're both here and they're both true. They both exist at the same time. So we, that's when things, okay, well, I want you to be in control, but I know I have to make a decision. So is God, everything I say, he's not controlling my mouth. So I don't have a problem with the things that God tells me he controls. I have a problem with the things that God isn't in control of. But we know ultimately he is sovereign and he does intervene in the wills of men. So world events. We, this morning was a perfect example. Things seem to be going awry. People had their own wills involved in the whole thing. Yet God used it all for his glory, for his purpose, and he even said it was going to happen before it happened. He knew ahead of time. So we, we can't interject and intervene and change God to do something. And I'm just going through the Old Testament right now and having gone through um, Deuteronomy, Judges, all of these things, he says, if you, I'll bless. If you, I'll curse. So who's in control? Well, you get to choose if you're going to follow God or not but you don't get to choose. I can't say, okay, I'm going to follow and obey you, but I'm not going to let you bless me. He goes, no, he's going to bless you if you obey him. And if you don't, he's, well, you're going to get the curse if you don't. There are consequences and results. So ultimately, if he's the one saying it, he's in control. Sometimes we just get decisions. We're going to say, am I going to allow God to, to control, you know, which way I want to go, or am I going to control it myself? He doesn't make us do things. And... Again, like I said, I was going through, this verse just hit me as I was preparing for this. Deuteronomy 29, 29 fits perfectly. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. There's things that God doesn't tell us, and he just says, deal with it. And then there's things he does tell us, and they're ours. And the question isn't, why can't I know certain things? The question is, what are you going to do with what you do know? What are you going to do with what you know about God? Some people don't like the fact that this God has secret things. But personally, I'm thankful. There's things I don't want to know. There's things you can't handle. Yes, I can't handle that. So, God says that he created us. And by right of creation, he has the right to rule. And people will sit there and struggle. Like, what came... The old saying, you know, well, I don't know if he really did. And then they just, their own simple logic, right? Eggs come from chickens and chicken come from eggs. What came first? Well, easy, the chicken, read Genesis. <laughs> it's not that hard. The question really, so they both have DNA. The question is, where did DNA come from? Now all of a sudden there's information involved. Information had to have a beginning. Now we're back to the, the, the first cause. If there is a cause, there had to be a first cause. All of that bringing us to Colossians. Colossians 1. 
since I didn't want to read everything verbatim, I actually have more time than I thought. So we'll just start from the beginning and I'm going to focus on 15 to 29. Is there a God? Is he in control? What is he doing? So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And that's a good prayer for people in Ukraine right now, for believers in Ukraine right now. They need power. They need strength. They need to know God's will for their lives. That's good for people in Russia. That's good for people all over in Europe. That's good for us. Feel free to pray that for me. The truth, 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You, saint, have been conveyed from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son. Why, when we're here looking around, looking at the news, looking at things, we wonder, why does everything seem so dark? Where's the world going to? We were there. And there's a delivery, there's a door, there's a elevator, there's a, a rapture to take you out of that, to get out of there. Hopefully that's happened. Hopefully that happens daily. In whom, 14, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, so firstborn can mean foremost or firstborn. We know that he was born. Was he born? That wasn't the moment he was created, right? We mentioned that today. I am. He always was. We read that this morning. He spoke to Abraham when he wasn't born yet, right? If, if he did, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And he created everything. If he created everything, the first causal means that he had to be there before in order to create it. It said that he was, if he created everything, he couldn't, he wasn't there to create himself yet. That's what the first cause says. That's what Thomas Aquinas got out of Plato. You have to have preceded creation. This wood had to have been there before the stool was made because I made it out of wood. The question is, where did the wood come from? Which is why in Genesis, right, bara. Because it means to make something out of nothing. How do you do that? He doesn't tell us. The secret things belong to God. He just says, deal with it. <laughs> like, I don't want your brain to, you're going to make a mess if I explain it to you. You're just going to, so, just, it is what it is. You're, you are in time, space, and matter. I created time, space, and matter. You can understand things by sight in time, space, and matter. If you're going to understand anything other than that, it's going to be a spiritual understanding, which is why we pray that it'll increase, because you cannot understand it otherwise. If you're trying to figure everything out through science, it's not going to work. You can only figure out earthly things through science. And I'm telling you, you're going to come to a conclusion with a hypothesis because you're not really understanding the truth of it. You you can't know the truth. Not only do they not know, they cannot know, for they're spiritually discerned, Paul told the Corinthians. He is the image. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. He is the image 
of the invisible God. So you can know what something invisible looks like. That's like a superpower. That's cool. God's invisible, his dad, the firstborn, the foremost over all creation. And again, he was born. So the whole, well, in order for him to be born, he was sinless, so therefore she had to be sinless because I don't even know where that thought process comes from. He was sinless because he was God. She needed a savior. She only had to be human. He was a kinsman redeemer. So he had to be like us. So all she had to do was be human. God became human at that time. He didn't come into existence at that time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the foremost God in the flesh over all creation, over all creation. Anything that was created, he's over it. And then 16 to 18. For by him all things were created. So you want to know where we came from, why we're here, what's the purpose of life, who is Jesus? Three verses. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all of those laws that we find, they're his. He did it. He spoke it. When does the sun not come up? When did gravity ever stop working? Well, it happens during a miracle. He might let it happen. The earth stopped rotating for Joshua. How does that work? Gravity goes away. He just, he created, it's not hard. The, the amazing miracle thing isn't, the amazing thing isn't that God can do that. The amazing thing is, is that it always happens. It, we never doubt it's going to not happen. Why is it so constant? Why are things always working properly? Why is there always air? How come I don't just float away? How come I'm not crushed? How come the moon is the right distance away? How come? It's, a, it's amazing. He is, and he did it by speaking. We read it in Genesis 1. He just says, God said, let there be. And all of these laws just happened out of his mouth. That we, He doesn't explain it. The secret things belong to God. It's like, who are you? All things were created through him and for him. Therefore, he must be the supreme creator, the initial cause. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. And that in and of itself is a whole long... um, In him, all things consist. It means that they're perpetually being held together. It means that we can get into theories. I have it all written down. I don't know if I'm going to bother going there. But there's a law that basically said opposites repel and magnetic fields and forces, and every atom has that problem. There's forces in there that are pushing away. And uh, a man came up and saw this and concluded it, and they call this atomic glue and all these things. But the bigger thing is forget about that. Every single thing that's here is being held together. Everything's connected. Um, when they talked about, I remember Chuck Missler talking about quarks. Um, there were scientists that realized that the quark is the smallest particle at that time that was known to man. And they determined that every quark in the universe is in communication with their other quark. And there were scientists killing themselves. They're, they couldn't fathom it. Their heads were blowing up. And they're like, so everything's connected. So the fact that you can see me is because light is traveling from me to you into your eyes. Because there's something between us that it travels through. We're all, everything is there in space. And the amazing thing is that my hand can go through the air, but it can't go through this. How does it know not to do that? Everything's made of atoms, and it's all particles, and it's all tied together. And it's just, if you think too much, you'll go nuts. Or you, you make more money than I am. I don't know. <laughs> You're either a genius or an idiot to be able to figure this stuff out. But it's fascinating, and it's true. And he just says, and before him, all things consist. So talk about that. Is God in control? My life seems to be falling apart. No, he's actually literally holding every atom in your body together right now. He cares that much. There's nothing about you he's not thinking. His thoughts are more for you than the grains of the sand. He's never not thinking about you. He's never not looking at you. The Bible tells us all these things. He's literally holding us together. He's giving us breath. We were saying that this morning. You know, he's the, it's, it's his breath in our lungs. We're actually able to breathe and air is coming. He is the light of the world we see because his light hits us. 
the warmth. He's more intricately involved than we ever know. If you follow science to what it was intended to be, to bring God glory, you'll be blown away. Just, I, mean, I remember, I don't know how many people, myself included, it's like, yeah, the first day I got saved, I went outside and I'm like, wow, the trees are beautiful. I never noticed them before. It's like all of a sudden God gives you this new goal and purpose in life and all of a sudden you realize, what is he not involved in? How good is God and how good is it going to be? And this is nothing. This is a cursed earth. Where do we see the redeemed one? He has a beautiful, glorious future planned for us. He is before all things. So what is out of control? God is before all things. And in him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. God has preeminence. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's your dad. What right do we have? I mean, if you fear, which is natural, but it's just proving you need to know Jesus better. Get to know him better. Are things out of control? Well, who's in control? Well, God. Well, then don't worry. Well, that's not what I want. Okay, who's in control? (laughs) Well, maybe I thought I was in control. (laughs) I know I'm supposed to say God. I know God is in control theologically, but practically in my life, am I giving everything to him? What am I taking upon myself? I'm not trying to make the sun come up every day. I know I can't do that. I'm not trying to make sure all God's people are fed. I can't do that. I don't want to be God. That's a big burden. I would panic and have a hard time. But what am I taking upon myself that I'm not supposed to be? We don't create world peace. We don't have to. We don't create unity in the church. We can't, and we don't have to. God's in control. God is doing something. Give it to him, and you'll be happy. (laughs) Life gets a lot better. He is the head of the body, and he doesn't say he wants to be the head of the body. He's just stating it. I am the head of the body. I am running this, whether you like it or not. You can try to fight me, but it's just going to make your life miserable, because I am the head of the body. The church, not of the churches. There is one church who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. So you've been reconciled to somebody, right? We know that sanctification is a process, right? We've been sanctified, which means to be made holy, Holy brother, you're holy, you know that. (laughs) Holy doesn't mean sinless. It just means that you've been set apart. You've been set apart from something and to something. And it's a process. We are being sanctified. To reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So there was a battle going on, and it was fought, and it was won, and it's done. This is why Jesus was able to say, okay, the battle's winning. Keep it going. He's like, no, it's finished. It's done. Everything that needed to be done is done. I did it. I accomplished it. Enter in and enjoy it. And you, 21, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach in his sight. We already see that he said that he redeemed us, he paid for us, he forgave us, he bled for us, he had to die. So he's not in the process of saying, okay, I hope this one's good enough because him I can bring with me. He's like, no, I'm doing that in them. And if you are a believer, then you have just been qualified by him. 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul, the minister to the Gentiles, quite aware of where they were, who they are, what they've been going through, what they believed, and there is misunderstanding that he corrects and he just sits there and he 
is setting things in order. And we know that they, um, you know, for time's sake, I think I'll end at verse 23. Um, just, if you could turn with me to Acts 17. I will go there. The same Apostle Paul in Athens starting in verse 16 and again this is Paul and it's called Mars Hill, which is the exact same place. Socrates sat there and spoke. All of these, it's like the council. All these people come up. Let's go up to this place and let, let's hear him. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's hear his words of wisdom and how he's going to present things. And it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Um, I'll skip down to verse 22. And in my Bible, I have a header. It says, addressing the, addressing the Areopagus, or up, or however it's announced. This is, again, their wise, studious, philosophical, religious team that knew more than everybody that would put you to the test. And it said, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And again, the whole point of this message is, is we can know him, get to know him. He is in control. He's a big God. Everything's going as planned. Just learn his plan. Pray for each other accordingly. They had this God they didn't know about, and it was the only living and true God, and it caused them to wander in their minds and they worshiped everything and in fact in the process of worshiping everything they didn't worship the one who they should have worshiped verse 24 god who made the world and everything in it as we just read since he is lord of heaven and earth so he's telling them there's an afterlife there's a heaven there's something other than physical that we see does not dwell in temples made with hands He's standing on this temple mount, on this place full of temples, and he's saying, all of these things that you have here, and he's quoting their, some of their philosophers, who some of them believe that. So in their own mind, by doing one thing, they're contradicting something else they're doing. They're mad. They're insane. They're trying to figure things out, and it doesn't work. Verse 25, nor... Is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things? I think that's another quote. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times, the boundaries of their dwellings. He determined who was born where and at what time. God has appointed you to be born here now. 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For you are also his offspring, and he's quoting from another one of their poets. Another philosophical writer wrote that. In other words, they could have known that. All they have to do is seek God, and they can, he's been revealing himself to them. They've just misinterpreted it. 29, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. And again, they knew Plato. or They knew, they knew Socrates. They knew all of these things. They, should, they could have read their own stuff and said, you know what, if there is a cause, there has to be a first cause. They, they, Aquinas came to that conclusion from reading it. They could have come to that conclusion. If something is made it, then there had to be someone to form it. Why are you forming something and calling it God? That would make you God. You're, you would be greater than it because you made it. Don't make a God. Don't make your own Jesus. We talked about that this morning too. You make a Jesus, then you are actually the creator, and he's subservient to you then. I'm going to make a God that fits what I want. Well, good luck being God. <laughs> You're going to be miserable 
30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, so they have hope, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Change your mind, change your way of thinking. You don't understand God properly. And uh, I'll end there. But I did have something. Um, has anyone ever heard of CARM or CARM, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry? Um, I have a, I just looked that up. And on Acts 17, there's a spot where actually he quotes all of these different Greek philosophers, poets, and religious people that Paul quoted from. And you'd be surprised how many of these are verses in the Bible that you didn't realize he was actually talking and ministering to people. He knew it. Paul was extremely smart. Paul was like the guy I work with that knows electricity well that can blow their minds. I'm not that guy. So I have to speak simple because I'm not, I'm not Dave and I'm not Paul, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. So sometimes I'm sitting there with my coworker and I'm He's telling me something, and I'm going by faith by what he says, but I have confidence knowing that he's really good at his job, and I know that it's probably right. Well, that's also true with the Apostle Paul. He's really smart. He dealt with these people. You don't have to be overwhelmed when scientists and people with higher education and come out and they pontificate and say all this brass stuff. They were not wiser and smarter than the Apostle Paul, and they definitely aren't smarter and wiser than God, who put all things in form and created it, and we really don't know that much. Electricity is still a theory. We work with it in, in ways that can kill us, and we, ju- and we trust it, but there's things that we don't know. And we are playing with things that are dangerous when we come to say that we know things for sure. Only God knows. He has declared us. There are certain things that are secret, but there's things that can be known. So read the Bible. Seek him, and what he tells you, go with it. And you can trust him. He's never been wrong. And it's not if you are worried or scared or fearful or not sure where things are going, he's in control. And if you don't think he cares, he's actually literally holding you together every day. I used to tell that to the Sunday school kids, ask for prayer requests, and then I would go to that verse. If they would say, I don't have anything to pray for. Okay, well, thank him that you didn't blow up today. He's literally holding you together right now, <laughs> and I don't want to clean it up. So <laughs> he, he is intricately involved in every aspect of your life more than you can possibly think. Get to know him more. Who is this God who is put me here? Why has he put me here? Grow in our understanding and knowledge of him. And uh, so, Father, we just thank you that you care, that you're involved, that we don't have to panic, that we don't have to do anything other than just worship you and watch you and let you do what you do. It's so freeing, Lord. It's so just, just peaceful to let you do and be yourself and just to follow you and worship you and love you. And um, we just want to have that control in our lives. We want uh, you to be there all the time. We want to understand you more, to grow in our knowledge of your grace, of your love and your mercy. And uh, we want to worship you better. Lord, you're not asking us to jump through hoops. You're just asking us to believe what you say. And Lord, everything you say is so good. I don't know why we would want to go to any more than that, Lord. So help our confusion. Um, help us to be able to minister to those around us. Help us to not be overwhelmed by people um, that try to intimidate us. Lord, we have your word. You're really smart. We know that. Help us to believe it. and Just trust that you'll give us the words like you say. Fill us with your spirit that we might grow in all of these things. And thank you for being a good God. And we look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.